ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blue Jays from Away podcast, episode 69. This episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Wesley James, who will join me in conversation and will also bring you an interview with Nate Pearson, pitcher in the Blue Jays minor league system. Welcome back to a new season of the Blue Jays from Away podcast. We're brought to you by the 2018 Toronto Blue Jays Minor League Handbook and the premium content section of Blue Jays from Away. This year's edition features profiles of over 250 players in the Toronto Blue Jays organization while giving you all of the info you need to follow the Blue Jays minor leaguers in action. The premium content section has photos, video, and scouting reports to supplement the profiles. The 2018 Toronto Blue Jays Minor League Handbook and the Blue Jays from Away Premium Content section. We've got you covered. Now available at the Blue Jays from Away shop and Amazon in format for Kindle and in print. Welcome back to the Blue Jays from Away podcast. Once again, I'm with Wesley James. Welcome back, Wesley. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we're going to talk some Blue Jays baseball because, you know, that's kind of why we're here, right? I would think so. So we've had a week of Major League Baseball. The Blue Jays are just about to open their road trip when we're recording today on uh, on Friday morning. And, um, you know, what did you see in that first week of baseball that... Uh, you, you're getting excited about or maybe a little uh, leery of? Uh, most exciting is uh, Diaz and Solarte. I thought were really exciting to watch. They were fun games for the most part. I think lots, lots, lots of games last year, unless there was a walk-off Grand Slam, you got a little... Um, it wasn't as exciting baseball as we have become used to in Toronto over the last few years. And those are really exciting games, especially the one on uh, Thursday, or no, Tuesday, that was really high scoring yeah um that came out of nowhere i think it was uh like all in the the eighth inning i think the a lot of the runs and uh i think i went away and i came back and i said okay they got it in the bag and then i looked at uh, the box score and i think they had scored another seven runs to tack on a few uh which was great and i mean it's great to see the offense because i think going into the season uh, that was going to be a big question mark for everybody was, you know, where are the Blue Jays going to get runs from? Yeah, I think it, uh, I was curious to see that as well. And even with Gritchick not playing very well in right field, you didn't need him to, to win some games. The other thing that really impressed me was the bullpen. Uh, I think no one thought that our bullpen would do better than the Yankees bullpen, and they, and they did. Yeah, um, I mean, after those first two games, I think a lot of people were... Uh, a little bit scared because those first two games were not pretty for the Blue Jays, especially the opening day game. Uh, the Blue Jays really had no answer to Luis Severino, um, and the offense looked like they had a bunch of holes in their bats. Um, 
and and the starting pitching looked okay. I mean, it was it wasn't like each of the pitchers gave up a few runs in that Yankee series, but um, the first two games we were saying, okay, well, you know, if we get that from Happ and if we get that from Sanchez, I think we're going to be okay. But I think the last few games when they really started to turn their uh, rotation over, starting with the the game against the White Sox. Um, on Monday night, which I went to uh, to see Jaime Garcia make his Blue Jays debut, um, I think we also started to see how this uh, pitching rotation was going to uh, line up against just about any teams. So you had Hap as a pretty much your top pitcher for this this year. What do you think that his struggles after these two first two starts? What did you see that was missing that that you were looking to see? Um, you know, I didn't see too much of the f- of the second game. Um, I saw the first game, and you know, I'm not too worried. I think a lot of the stuff is, you know, a little bit of the fine tuning here and there. I don't think they're it's big early. issues. I picked Hap mainly because I think everybody was picking Stroman or Sanchez, and I wanted to be a little bit uh, a little bit different. So I don't necessarily think Hap is going to have the best season of any of them but I you know it wouldn't surprise me if he had a really strong season and Sanchez and Stroman sort of came back to I guess closer to league average I think they'll still be better than average but um, that was just a hunch of mine it's it's nothing that I'm really basing I'm not basing that hunch off anything solid oh good that's what we're here for then to uh, yeah no but I think I I liked your pick for Hap I think he could be a dark horse to take the top war but there was definitely some things that I think need were he threw a lot of pitches early on and uh, I think that moving forward it's a little you know 2013 Hap rather than 2016 Hap so but I I, I, I overall the starting starting pitching I thought was actually really good too and you know from what I could see from you know the 500 level when I saw uh, Jaime Garcia pitching, it looked like his off-speed pitch was really tough for um, Russell Martin to handle. I mean, he he was dropping a lot of third strikes. Um, you know, I was there with a couple of uh, a couple of folks that I know from Twitter. One is Charlie Kasky, who came in from Vancouver, and he contributed to the first edition of the Blue Jays minor league handbook. Um, and you know we were saying that was like the third or f- there were at one point it was the third or fourth dropped third strike that uh, that Martin had to either throw down to first or tag the runner. So I have a feeling that that Garcia may have even more movement on his off-speed pitches than even Russell Martin was anticipating. I think there was a lot of movement. He was pitching a lot of guys, a lot of right-handed bats, really, really in, uh, and so a lot of those. Uh, those pitches were dropped because the movement on him was, was was quite good, and I think um, he's also getting used to him. Martin's also getting used to Garcia for the first time, so you you, you with his kind of stuff, you'd probably expect a bit of a learning some, curve. Yeah, him to drop some balls. Yeah, um, but I also think Garcia will play really well against the Yankees lineup because you need to pitch them in like that, and with uh, you know. They do have holes for the big guys, so they do have some uh, some some spots you can if you can spot away and then come in hard. I think you'll get some strikeouts, some swing and miss. Yeah, well, those guys in the Yankee lineup will strike out a lot. Mm-hmm. Stanton struck out five times 
And the Yankees booed him. Did you, did you is, see that? Is there a is there a name for that? I know four is a golden sombrero. What's what's five? The Stanton Five. The Stanton Five. The Stanton Sombrero. Uh, so then, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about offense. I mean, that the game. I think it was Sunday where Justin Smoke hit the the grand slam to uh, to give the Blue Jays the win. That was um, fun. That was you know I was watching that on TV and. You know, I just was like, you know, when when did this happen? Like, you know, smoke is good again, and or smoke is still good. Well, not only that, he's a hard out all of a sudden. Like, you have to throw him. There was one game where there was a hundred. They said the hundred and sixty something pitches were thrown in that game. Thirty of those pitches were were just to smoke, which is um, it just shows you how much better he is at the plate than he used to be. He used to, you know three or four pitches now he's you know five plus pitches in, an, in a bat is it's impressive and you know i was watching the uh the u.s or the, the new york um uh, feed the yes feed um and when donaldson came up to bat they're like i think i would rather pitch to donaldson right now because smokes are really tough out i you know i didn't expect to get that kind of yes the yes network said the that. yes network said that you know they were surprised that donaldson was walked to get to smoke because they were really giving smoke a lot of uh, a lot of respect. They were saying um, how smoke's you know been really good at the plate. He's had really good at bats. Donaldson at that point hadn't started to work his way out of that season opening funk. Um, they said and they they actually said you know I would rather pitch to Donaldson in this case and then you know up comes smoke and makes them uh, seem brilliant. Well, I, and it was obvious that Donaldson wasn't at one hundred percent. He's not playing his position. So, you know, even if he says he's not hurting, he might be and he might not feel completely comfortable yet. So if, I, I think I was surprised that they they walked him for sure. Now, the other nice thing about the game I went to on Monday was that Donaldson hit his first home run of the season. And obviously it's great to see, you know, your best hitters get off the schneid and, and uh you can start to see the power that he's bringing to it. He was also having fun with the sort of uh, miming the whistle at the the Chicago bench. Um, but it, it, you know, for me, it was more than seeing like the Aledmus Diaz home run, and um, there was another home run. Everyone hit a home run. Oh, uh, Russell Martin hit a home run. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, but you know, even more so than the Martin home run and the and the Diaz home run. Um, to see Donaldson swinging the bat and really hitting the ball with authority, that, to me, was sort of the, the biggest relief of that game. Seeing him with a bit more swagger, it, 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 you feel better about the team in general. The whistle thing, it, 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 have you ever seen that before? Do, do they, or even on minor league games, that, it felt really bizarrely patronizing. As a, they're, they're a major league team. Yeah, and they're blowing the whistle, and then he was doing it to joke around with with Donaldson when <laughs> before he came up to the plate. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it seemed like uh, it was a Baylor is the the coach. Um, it seemed like the coach for the White Sox took it in good fun. Like it didn't become the Jose oh, he, Bautista. He, he was having a blast. Yeah. yeah, didn't become so. I mean, if Jose Bautista had done that, maybe the reaction <laughs> might have been different. But I think with uh, I think with Donaldson and and it seems like they, you know, they just had a laugh about it and and it didn't turn into anything, um, the way things with Texas sometimes does. Right. 
Well, we're going to Texas tonight, so. Well, we're not. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> no, yeah. we're not. Are you getting on a flight later? That I you wish didn't tell me about it's that? snowing. <laughs> yeah, uh, beautiful weather here in Toronto, snowy weather. Um, probably not snowing in Texas. Uh, just, a, just a guess. I hope not. Um, but let's talk, like, um, you know, Tulowitzki's down for most of the count, or at least a standing eight. Um, and Aledmus Diaz has come in, and I don't know about you, but for me, he's hit better than expected. Oh, yeah. I don't think I had him doing as well as he did. He even looked really good at shortstop, you know, in a better than I expected. He did have one error um, on Tuesday, but... But I think that might have had to do with him. That was after he tweaked his back. So I think I, I remember watching the throw and thinking that was a strange. He looked a little off balance. But I, other than that, I thought I was really impressed. Yeah. And, and also, I think everybody has fallen in love with Jan Hervis Solarte and his fun-loving ways, his dancing in the dugout. And on the field in front of the dugout. Love it. Yeah. There, there needs to be more of that in, in Little like self, little less self-aware. I think is good for Toronto sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we haven't had a character like that really since uh, since Munenori Kawasaki. But it would be even better if Solarte, you know, can play better than Munenori Kawasaki. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd mentioned the bullpen. Obviously, the Blue Jays bullpen has actually been very good so far this year. Um, Sungwon Oh gave up a home run on Monday in the game I saw. Uh, to Wellington Castillo, who really seems to have the Blue Jays' number. But aside from that, I mean, John Axford has been solid. He's He's been a little shaky with his control, but I think we all knew that coming in. And Clifford has been good. Uh, Tapera gave up that one home run. Tapera gave up a home run. But, you know, if you take too much out of one inning and one appearance by a, a reliever, you know, it, you're giving that outing a little too much power. And, and relievers generally have their their bad outings weigh a lot heavier on their statistical line than any other pitcher, than a starting pitcher would. So um, for me, again, I think I said before the season that I thought the bullpen was really strong and really deep, and we have um, even more depth uh, going down to the minors, which is great. And I still think, um, you know, I haven't changed my mind about this bullpen. No, it's really good. I'm really... I was really excited when Clipper got picked up. I didn't know. Watching O has been a, a really... I, I didn't realize he had as much closing experience as he has. And I think in, in Japan he had a, quite a bit of closing experience. And, of course, you know, I don't want to not mention Roberto Osuna, who has been in his, I think, yeah, two outings. Yeah, you sort of take it for granted. He's just, well, yeah, he's going to be Roberto Osuna. And he's just lights out, and the velocity is there again. Um Although I have to say, I, I kind of have this wonder whether the the um, the radar gun at the Rogers Center is a little bit juiced because um, <laughs> I've never seen Ryan Tapera throw 97 until Monday when you know he came into the game was throwing 96, 97. I knew he was 94, 95, but um, yeah, he was throwing really hard. He was throwing his slider slash cutter at you know 89, 90, and it. it it was really hard. So either he's added some juice to his uh, his diet. We'll we'll, we'll suggest no. Uh, so I don't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> Unless he's added some some velocity, um, maybe the the Rogers Center I, velo k 
Cam is. Uh, I thought is I saw him at ninety six last year. Yeah, I could be. I could uh, be thinking of somebody else, but I don't think I am. It's going to be. See, I I wonder if they're going to switch around that that eighth inning rule. I think in the beginning, giving it to him is a is a good idea. But I I wonder if that might move around a bit, given how deep all of a sudden and how much experience is in the mm-hmm. bullpen. I I could see O going to the eighth inning, and I'd love to see Tapera be a um, a multi inning reliever. I'd love to see him come out and throw. Um, one and two thirds or throw two innings in an outing because the Blue Jays don't really have that guy. They don't have a pitcher who can throw multiple innings and, and had Biagini made the team in the bullpen, he could have been that guy. But really they don't have anyone like that. I mean, I know the team policy is generally to in the minor leagues, they like to have their 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 relief pitchers throw multiple innings. Um so if you check out box scores, especially once we get deeper into the season, right now I think they're still going to be a little bit um, more ginger with the, the pitcher's arms. But as we get deeper into the season, you're going to start to see even the guys who are considered closers probably start to get multiple innings in an outing. And especially the um, you know the non-closer pitchers will start to throw two innings in an outing because you know I think Bob Stanley told me once that yeah, you know, they want them to throw multiple innings because they're not going to be closers when they get to the major leagues, especially those guys in the upper minors right now. You know, you're not going to get, um, you know, Carlos Ramirez is not going to step into the Blue Jays lineup and be a closer. Um, Matt Dermody, um, Tim Meza, they're not going to come up to Toronto and be closers with the Blue Jays. So, you know, getting multi-inning experience in the minors is something that's really good. And I would like to see more of it in in the major league side of things. Yeah, with the people in Buffalo right now, are there are there some is there someone like that who, who you see down there that that could fill that kind of role? Well, I think Ramirez could. Um, you know, pretty much everyone there has some big league experience, um, whether it's Dermody or Meza or Luis Santos. I think Santos is the the immediate guy who would, I would say is the closest. Um, he had the most success in the majors of any of those guys. Um, and Santos has spent considerable time as a starter. I think this year, I think Rowley is going to get the, uh, the nod, at least coming out of the gate to be in the rotation. But Santos is probably that guy who will throw two, three innings, uh, at a time. He'll be the long guy, but he may also get some high leverage work in Buffalo. Cool. Well, what, should we uh, should we talk about some minor league games? Well, first, before we talk about minor league games, let's let's talk about pitch talks because on Thursday oh. there was a on Thursday there was a pitch talks and Mark Shapiro had his uh, his town hall. My private meeting with Mark Shapiro. <laughs> Your private meeting with how many others? You know, five hundred others. Something like that. It, was, um, it wasn't as full as I think I've seen other events, but it was, it was pretty full. It's a big. It was at the Royal Theater, so it's quite a, quite a few seats. So tell us, you know, what you got out of it. I know there were a couple of other uh, speakers or, or speaker groups after uh, Shapiro spoke. Um, but first, let's just talk about what Shapiro said, because, you know, I don't think I saw a lot of tweeting coming out of it other than the Pitch Talks Twitter account. So, you know, what were the main things that you thought he covered? Uh, and did he say anything particularly um revelatory or groundbreaking 
Oh, well, he's very good at speaking uh, and kind of just telling you what you need to know and not much else. They covered uh, renovations. Um, I got to ask a question about uh, Gritchik and Leblebijian. There was um, a guy who asked a question about bike racks. Uh, and you know, it, it was it was it was a lot of you know Shapiro saying the right things. He's really good at kind of you, you think he's saying something and then you come out and you realize he said a lot less than you thought he did at the time. Well, I mean, it sounds like Alex Anthopoulos actually who would who would talk. These guys and, who know what, know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I think actually Ross Ross Atkins dodges questions. He doesn't. I think Ross Atkins doesn't dodge questions quite as well as as uh, Shapiro does. But so, you know, what were the answers to some of those questions? You know, any any news on the renovation front? Anything that stuck out to you? Um, as far as renovations, he he was mostly focused on the amount of money that would it sounds like they're looking at it he was implying there'd be a lot of wall taking down and replacing with glass just so to open up the building, make it feel bigger. There's probably an expansion. They're talking hundreds of millions of dollars to do it. Uh, and he keeps saying no public money is coming. Um, so I would assume that, you know, it, it's going to be a long way off. They might do it in bits and pieces. But I, I, he didn't really say much new last night. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the figure I've heard thrown around is hundreds of millions. And... Obviously, that's going to be a big deal for um, a renovation. So we'll see what happens. Someone, someone said they were talking even about um, just reconfiguring the whole building so that turning it so yeah, it's almost turning the field to the, the goes the other way. Yeah, yeah, I heard something about that too. Which would be I, I kind of like the idea if you flipped it the other way and then the outfield is sort of on the lakeside and then there's more windows maybe and you can see it there and then you're not looking directly at the hotel uh i'm i'm kind of I, I, everything sounds really exciting and i'd be really into it it it, it is a building that is ancient and feels ancient when you're in it um i always feel like it's a concrete disaster but it's our concrete disaster yeah you know i don't mind it so much um you know being there i don't think i went to a game last year but having gone monday night um it was okay. Like I've sat, you know, I sat, we sat, you know, spent half the game behind the plate about seven rows up in the 500 level. Um, then went, you know, closer to the first base side, uh, for the rest of the game. It was just a little less crowded over there. Um, about the same, you know, five, six, seven rows up and it was all right. You know, I sat at city field in New York once, um, about the same place, you know, about six, seven rows behind the plate in the upper deck. And it was, you know, very similar, um, a very similar vantage point. And I think obviously Toronto is higher. You are further away from the, from the, the actual action. But, you know, I don't mind it. The amenities look okay. The concourse is okay. And yeah, it's all concrete and it's not the most visually appealing. But I don't know. As you said, it's our concrete. It's our palace. concrete disaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I think it's right now. It's okay, and I think uh, which is fine. It's sort of a middling sort of stadium experience. But there are really nice stadiums. I was at a Cardinals game in St. Louis a few years ago, and it was like you when you're in a really when when a stadium does it right, you it does really affect your experience of it. Sure, sure. Okay, so what did he say about Randall Grichuk? 
Oh, these guys are good at just hiding. I mean, they're not saying they're, they're saying the right things, and they're probably saying part part of what they say behind the scenes. But I, I kind of asked a question about with Grichuk because we were talking about Grichuk in our last podcast about how you know, we don't really see him in right field at the end of the year, and with his performance in the last week, you know, he could turn things around and and still be a really productive guy. But um, with all the depth down there, how long is it going to take? How much leash does he have, essentially, before someone else gets a shot? And uh, you know, they but they hide behind the numbers all the time. Well, it's small sample size, blah blah blah. We need to see how how he does. You know, you don't want to be too emotional about stuff over the blah over the blah blah blah. You know, you get all the same number sort of type answers, and so you end up kind of not getting a real answer. You. But he can't really say, well, I'm going to throw Grichuk under the bus and five more plate appearances. You know, He does kind of have to say that. But I am curious, behind the scenes, they're definitely, there's definitely balls rolling about how much they're planning something. They're planning scenarios. Sure. That's, and so I was wondering if the one scenario plays out and how far that goes. Right. Well, you know, my thought on it is, A, you're right. He's not going to say anything uh, definitive one way or another. You know, obviously, they traded for this guy. Um, so he's their guy, and they're going to um, defend him until he's not their guy anymore. So, you know, they're gonna say, you know, he's it's still early, and and you know, it's probably we're probably gonna hear it's still early for the first month of the season if he continues to struggle. Um, but I also think they're not gonna do anything right away because they want to get the minor league guys into a groove, and I think if you see a lot of uh, games in the minor leagues canceled because of weather, um, especially over this first week, you're not going to see any movement at all because then they're bringing up guys who haven't played or may have played one game over two weeks or a week and a half. So they basically have two weeks off between the end of minor league camp and... Minor league camp continued uh, another few days after okay. the major league season started. So when the Blue Jays came up north to play in Montreal, I think that was a Monday-Tuesday... I think the minor league camp went for another week, okay. and so the, so they're not they're not a week rested. They're, they've been still been playing. They've 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 been off for a week now almost. Okay. I think their last games were Saturday last week. So basically, these and it's it's crazy because you get these minor leaguers and and we'll talk about the the first games in the minor league season in just a minute. But you get these um, these minor leaguers who they've been playing for three weeks, like their games start middle of March and they go to the beginning of April. So their games are only really two weeks. You know, they'll play each other in, in scrimmages, but they won't be facing opposition f until about, you know, March 14th, March 13th, um, maybe a couple days before. But really, the first actual um, real fake, you know, spring training games. And in the minor leagues, there's pretty much no faker spring training games than those <laughs> where, you know, you get a major league guy and he'll lead off each inning. Um, or, mm. you know, if he hits a pitch limit, they'll they'll roll the inning, as they say. And, and, you know, if he's thrown too many pitches, the inning just stops. They don't bring in another guy. They say, all right, we've planned for this many pitchers. And it's the same thing in the bottom of the ninth. If the home team's ahead, um, they'll hit because the other team's pitcher needs to work. Right, and it's planned for. They've got nine innings worth of guys, so they play games um, until about April first this year. 
um, maybe March 31st. And then, so now here we are, we're April 6th. Um, Buffalo Bison start today. So it's been a week almost for most of these guys. Some of them came up to Toronto, or some of them came up to Montreal um, and played in those two games in Montreal. But these guys have been off for a while. And um, a lot of them, you know, and especially they're opening their season in Rochester, which has, you know, just as crappy weather as Buffalo. And so you're really going to get... the possibility of losing two or three games in that first weekend. And so, you know, if someone like, you know, Danny Espinoza, they want to call up, you know, let's say a lead Mrs. Diaz back spasms weren't as, um, you know, weren't as minor as they seem to be. And they need a, an infielder. Are you going to call up Danny Espinoza who hasn't played in a week and, and possibly even more as we, you know, go into, um, go into next week you know he could have maybe one game's worth of action in a week and a half i mean there was one year where lansing Lugnuts had three of their first four games snowed out and well last april there wasn't there was so much rain that it was almost like a third of their games were, yeah. were canceled in buffalo yeah so i don't think we're going to see a lot of roster movement calling down to AAA to get guys just yet i think they're going to let them like so for grichuk if he's struggling, they're going to give him another couple of weeks to get Teoscar Hernandez some at-bats and get him well, into a group. I was thinking about uh, Salto Lamacchia last year, and I can't remember when he got pulled, but there was. I remember thinking, oh, he's got at least another week, and then it was a two days and he was, and he was gone. That's and I think that was middle April? It was middle, mid, end of April? middle end of April. I, but, I mean, he struck out in like 60% of his plate appearances. It was pretty scary. Yeah, he, he was bad. He was really bad. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, he didn't do well in Buffalo, I don't think, either, did he? No, he. I think he was released. I, it may have been at his own request, but yeah. um, he was released fairly quickly. Um, although I did see on Twitter somebody spotted a Salta Lamacchia jersey at the Blue Jays game. Uh, I think it might have been Wednesday. <laughs> and, and the funny thing was... Somebody like it was sort of blurry, and I think Mike Wilner had had posted it, and it was blurry. And then someone else posted a clearer picture of the jersey, and it was actually spelled Santa Lamacchia. <laughs> maybe it was a maybe that 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 that's that person's last name. Maybe yeah, maybe it's the Toronto Santa Lamacchias. The garage sale at the end of the year is a good place to pick up uh, jerseys that people forgot to pick up that you can then buy. <laughs> I have one. Oh yeah, yeah. Which one do you? Who's on your? Hawkberg. Hawkberg. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mister Hawkberg. He's. I tried to look him. I don't think he exists. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. I'm joined by Nate Pearson, Blue Jays pitcher in the minor league system. Welcome to the podcast, Nate. Thank you for having me. So, Nate, tell us how are you doing so far in spring training? You've uh, you've been in camp probably for about a month now, or and have been throwing. How are things going? It's been going good. I mean, uh, coming to the field every day and uh, always meeting someone new each day is always nice. So, it's uh, a lot of fun hanging out with the guys. So when you say meeting someone new, do you mean teammates? Do you mean coaches? Do you mean just people hanging around? 
just uh, all those people in general. I mean, we got new staff members, we got new players, and we got new um, just just getting new teammates. So it's it's awesome. So of the the coaching staff of your teammates, who do you think has has made the biggest impression on you so far? I think Coach Riggins. Uh, he's I think he's he's going to be the high pitching coach, and uh, I've been in his group, and he's uh, helped me a lot so far throughout uh, spring training, and it's been fun working with him. What, uh, you know, any specifics about what he's been working with you on? Uh, we kind of talked about mechanics. He said he really liked my mechanics, and uh, he says I don't really need to overthrow overthrow too much because it's going to come out hard naturally. So it's it was something that, I, that really made sense to me when he said it. Now, we all know you throw hard. Uh, you know, we've heard that, you know, you hit – triple digits with your fastball sometimes is that does that you know give you a little bit of security knowing that when you're facing someone you don't have to work so hard to get it by him if you need to I mean I, I think regardless of the hitter I want to try to throw my best pitches whether it's my fastball or it's my off speed and I want to throw my best so just in case so they're they're going to give me their best I'm going to give them my best so and you know what is your best like uh, when you're on what are you doing that you know makes you better than the batter I think just being able to throw all four pitches for strikes really I mean obviously my fastball is pretty elite but I want to uh, get all my other off pitches to that level as well and uh, I think when I got all four working it's pretty good when you when you say you have all four pitches working right now you know I know that consistency is the biggest thing so how consistently are you able to get those pitches working for you I mean some days are better than the other better than others but uh so far in spring training it's been pretty good I've been able to uh flash some really good consistency with each of my pitches so it's I think it's all about honing them all together and uh producing a consistent outing where they're all working together so I think some of our listeners really want to hear about your experience last year because last year you started off at uh Central College of Central Florida, uh, and um, and then were drafted, and then got into the Blue Jay system, and went up to Vancouver. So it sounds like it was a, a big sort of ride and a, a big jump for you. So what was it like, first of all, starting out your season um, with College of Central Florida? Yeah, JUCO. My JUCO season was really fun. I mean, it's uh, I made the the transfer, and I was very excited. I knew I had to put a lot of work in. Uh, but I didn't know how much success I was going to have, which uh, I knew if I just worked hard, I knew it all come naturally. But it was it was a great year. Have met a lot of cool guys. Uh, um, had some fun together throughout the season. Uh, we didn't end up doing as well as we would like. We uh, we didn't make the tournament, but we all had fun and uh, we all had our own uh, memories that we uh, will uh, cherish for a long time. Now, when did you sort of realize that scouts were, were really being more active following you than they may have been in the past? I think it's just going from each outing to each outing. You see uh, the numbers grow in scouts. You know, I had a lot in my first outing and uh, some more than others the next outings after that. But it was always a consistent showing of scouts. And I think that's when I knew I had a really good shot at going pretty high. Now, for someone who's you know never played baseball at a high level, um, you know I don't know what it's like when I you know to be scouted. You know, would, would these scouts come and talk to you? Would they talk to your family? Um, would you know more and more scouts talk to you as they started getting more serious about thinking about drafting you? Yeah, I'd say uh, the scouting process is kind of different for each team, but 
how it would go my last year in JUCO that we would uh, the scouts would reach out to me in the fall or before the season and we arrange somewhere that we can sit down where they can get to know me, get to know my style of game, my mentality, you know what my uh, family background is like and everything. And uh, it was basically just a meet and greet and just get to know me because I know they they can come and watch me all the time and on the field, but they don't know how I am off the field. So I think that plays a big role in what how the organ each organization sees you. So. And you know, when draft day comes, you were drafted in the first round by the Toronto Blue Jays. You know, what you know, tip off did you have that the Blue Jays were really interested? And in, and you know, at what point did you know that it's going to be the Blue Jays? Well, I, I can't really say I knew it was going to be them the whole time, but I knew they're uh, like one of two teams that had really strong interests. In fact, uh, my area scout, Matt Bischoff, is, uh, was the first scout that talked to me coming out of high school. So I always knew the Blue Jays were, uh, were on me from the, from the start right out of high school. But, uh, yeah, I saw, I, I saw the Blue Jays uh, at probably like every one of my starts. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see. I knew they had really good interests. But um, I, I didn't know for sure who was going to draft me because the draft is pretty crazy on that when, a, when it starts going. So you never know what's going to happen. Well, you say it's pretty crazy. So, you know, did any sort of craziness happen to you? Somebody call you and say you're going at this time and it doesn't happen and you, you know, then you're sitting and waiting for someone else to draft you? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, while, I, while I was sitting with my family, a lot, of, a lot of teams are calling my agent, you know, asking like, different numbers and everything so it was, uh, I didn't really know what it was all was going on I was just waiting for my agent to tell me when I was going off the board but I'm sure a lot of behind the scenes stuff was going on so you preferred to be you know your agent knew what you wanted and and you wanted your agent to deal with everything and so that you didn't you know you could just enjoy the moment yeah me and my agent were on the same page and uh, I let them uh, do all the work as they they were supposed to they were handling all of it and uh, they were just going to let me know when the time come, and they let me know right before the Blue Jays pick, so it was pretty awesome. Now, I'm sure you're thrilled to be a Blue Jay, but was there a team that you would you would think, you know, I really want to play for this organization, I really want to play for this team? Did, did that ever go through your mind, even before the draft, when you were, you know, starting to really play in college and, and, and things were looking, like, really serious? Was there a team that you were just like, this is the team I want to go to? I mean, growing up, I was uh, growing up here in Tampa. I was a Tampa Bay Rays fan, but um, I never really had a decision set in my mind on what team I wanted to play for. I think uh, the draft worked out tremendously uh, in my favor with the Blue Jays right here in my backyard. So my parents can see a lot of spring training games, and uh, I think uh, I wouldn't want to be with any other team right now than the Blue Jays. So I'm very lucky. Now, when the Blue Jays drafted you, uh, you know you were here in Florida, obviously, because this is, you know, where you're from. But what was your reaction to being sent up to Vancouver? Uh, I kind of knew, I, I kind of had an idea after I was drafted that they would, I would go to one of the short season teams we had. Uh, I started in the GCL, uh, had one appearance, and they sent me up to Vancouver. But uh, I was I was excited to go to a whole different country, you know. It's a very fun experience for me. Vancouver City was beautiful, great weather. Uh, we had an amazing fan base. We sold out every game, six thousand plus fans, every game, and it was a uh, it was very inter- interactive crowd that they had there. So it was is awesome atmosphere. So Canada is a different country, obviously, but it, I mean it's not completely different, right? There's obviously yeah. some things that are the same. We speak English. Um, so, but what was the weirdest thing about playing in Canada? 
Um, I'd probably say it's just, uh, you know, walking down the street, like the, the street lights are different and uh, uh, just kind of just the overall vibe of being walking down the street is a little bit different, but it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's a, I thought it was a great experience and it was very fun. So. Was that the first time you'd been outside the U.S.? Uh, yeah, well, actually, I've been outside the U.S. Uh, a couple times, both to Canada. One when uh, I went to Vancouver when I was very little, don't really remember it. And then I also went up to Toronto when uh, right after I got drafted, and uh, uh, they showed me all the the stadium and everything. So that was unbelievable. That was a great experience. So when they brought you up, does that sort of make you just want to get there faster? Oh, yeah, it definitely gives you some initiative going into pro ball to see this is where you can end up. And uh, you want to get there as quick as you can, but um, yeah, it was it was great to see my dream come true in the draft, and then to possibly go up there and uh, see yourself playing in that stadium was awesome. Any of the big league guys show you any tips? Give you any tips? Show you any uh, any any secrets? Uh, not really any tips, but I did talk to Jay Happ when I was up there. Uh, he's a he's a great dude. He was very welcoming. You know, it's kind of. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to go out and when I'm there to talk to a big league, but he approached me and uh, we uh, chatted for a little bit. It was good to talk to. All right. Now, so we're here in Florida and, and you're obviously trying to get better and better and better. And, uh, you know, what are you looking to do this year? You know, this year I think uh, I uh, want to get better every outing. And uh, by that I mean, like, my main focus is on my off-speed pitches and just getting them consistent as we were talking about earlier and just pulling all four pitches together and make solid outings every single time. All right. I did want to ask you about winning the championship with Vancouver. I totally, I sort of jumped over that <laughs> in the flow. But uh, so tell us about what it's like winning a championship in your first year as a pro um, in a city that really does support the team as much as Vancouver does. Oh, it was it was totally unbelievable. I mean, to, I never thought starting my pro career would be uh, started as a champion. You know, we had such a great team there, a bunch of great guys, great teammates. And uh, I knew we had something special right when I first got there because every, every game was uh, very, very quick, very uh, organized. Everyone was on the same page, and I knew we were on a pretty good team. Now, you did pretty well in Vancouver. Um, I, I know I'm underselling things a little bit. Uh, but what's it like when you're just that dominant? Is it is it more about competing with yourself? Um trying to be as perfect with each pitch as you can, focusing on staying in the moment? Or is it just about, I'm just going to shove this ball down your throat as the pitcher and just, just try to make you hit it? I think it's a little mix of everything you just said. I mean, uh, every batter that comes up there, I want to just absolutely dominate. And uh, I think that was my, that's been my goal set for every batter I ever, like I ever face. But it's it's. I definitely had so much confidence with the guys playing behind me, and uh, I knew if they were going to hit it, it was going to go someone to someone very well uh, experienced into the field, and I knew they would make a play for me. All right, and just I just want to know. We want to know a little bit more about you, and you know what you're like off the field. What do you like to do? How do you get away from the game? Uh, you know, what do you like to do? Um, I really like to golf. Uh, I really love it. I actually got to watch Tiger play the other week here in the Valspar Open, which was very fun. But, uh, yeah, I like to golf, I like to fish, I like to play uh, video games with the guys, you know. Basically anything with uh, a good group of friends I'm always down for. So. And who do you golf with here? 
Oh, there's a whole bunch of golfers here. It's uh, usually just anyone who wants to go. You know, I'm pretty good friends with uh, just about all the guys here. So whoever wants to go, I'm always down to go. <laughs> is it is it hard to get golf clubs that are your size? Actually, uh, yeah, I got some new ones this uh, right when uh, the season ended, and I was able to go out and uh, get measured, and I uh, got some uh, custom ones that fit me. So it's uh, nice having some. Now, I've heard Andy Ravel's a really good golfer. Have you had a chance to play with him yet? I haven't, but uh, he's where uh, our lockers are right next to each other. We talk about it a lot, and uh, I've definitely heard that he's very good, and he's, uh, he likes to uh, take money from his teammates. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty fun. I hope to play with him soon. All right, well, we hope you play for him. We also hope that you play for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, this is Nate Pearson, minor league pitcher in the Toronto Blue Jays organization, but we think you're going to be moving fast. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we hope you have a great rest of the 2018 season. Thank you for having me. That's all for episode number 69 of the Blue Jays from Away podcast. On behalf of my co-host Wesley James, I'd like to thank Nate Pearson for joining us, and thank you for listening. Come on back soon, and go Jays go! Go Jays go!